1: Kroger,
2: fresh for everyone. A warmer for Lilo. Welcome to Lovely Las Vegas for just keeps with myself, Greg Hughes, and now a part of the Vison Family Podcast. And got a great podcast for you. Send the second segment, one of our good friends over there at Heat Check CBB, Connor Rope. He also does a podcast of his own. That is with Brian Ruff, and they call it the Hope and Ruff Podcast. He is going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be chatting with him a little bit about the West Coast Conference. I'm trying to gather just as much information as humanly possible about all these conferences. And for those of you guys who are asking, we're most likely going to be starting conference previews in, I would say, about a month and a half. Late May, early June is typically when you're able to have enough information on some of these low to mid-majors to be able to to make a pretty good handicap on those. Because with regards to like the Power 5, the Big East, even some of these others like the American, the Atlantic 10, you want to be able to get a little bit more information on them, which is why I wind up putting those towards the end of the offseason. But that said, we're going to be gathering a little bit of information with them about the West Coast Conference. We wind up seeing a coaching move with Steve Lavin coming over. And we also wind up seeing a lack of coaching moves when it comes to Pac-12. We're going to be talking about that. And right now, it feels like many of us out here in the college basketball world are waiting for some of the dominoes to fall with regards to some of the big transfer portal pieces. So we're going to be getting his thoughts on that as well. And in the final segment, we did wind up seeing some interesting guys wind up making their decisions with the transfer portal, including one very controversial guard out there in the Big Ten. We also wound up seeing a couple guys decide that they're going to be coming back to where they came and returning to their original school. We're going to talk to Connor Hope about that as well, and if you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you, for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gunit underscore D1. Keep in mind the letters M, yeah, they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please send these in of the timeline. And the other way is finding an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. I know that many of you guys are starting to handicap baseball like I am, so did not mind getting in any questions. We've got a lot of off-season remaining, but please do send those questions in if you do wind up having them. As I always say, bets are one during the season. Bets are one in crunch time. They are done through great preparation, championships are one. They are actually one right now, so please do send those in, and I do think that it is critical to be taking a look at what we're getting in college basketball right now and helping us be able to dissect that. Connor of heatcheck Checks joins me next right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Eames Peterson, now part of the Decent Family Podcast.
1: Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club.
2: And we're back here with Las Vegas for Cubs to Cubs with myself, Greg H. E. Spears, and it is great to be joined by our guests as this man does absolutely terrific work over there at Heat and he, much like myself, does a podcast. His is called the Hope and Roth Podcast. You're able to find that wherever you podcast Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, list goes on and on. He does that with another friend of this podcast, Brian Roth, and that last name is Bolt R-A-U-F. These guys do a great job of being a breakout college basketball encounter. I know is going to be having a lot of written work for the offseason over there at Cbb and to be able to follow Connor Hope on Twitter. That is at CondorianFM all together. And Connor, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you.
3: Yeah, always a pleasure, Greg. So thanks for having me.
2: It is great to have you aboard. And Connor, it is a pleasure that we've got a lot to be able to talk about these most recent last few weeks with regards to the transfer portal. Things have been hot and heavy in the two weeks or so Said the college basketball season wound up wrapping up. And Something that I've really noticed in the last few days is that some of the biggest impact moves have actually not been via the transfer portal, but rather guys have decided, you know what, I'm going to be going back to school. Like Darius McGee deciding to return to Liberty, 24 and a half point per game score. That's big. Race Thompson going back to Indiana. We saw Leaky Black. He's going to be returning to North Carolina. And I do think that this is a very good approach that these coaches are taking because while you're able to hit a home run in the transfer portal and it can certainly change the fortunes of a program, I do think that being able to hit the transfer portal, part of that is being able to have a little bit of something to sell these guys that are out there in the portal and being able to retain these guys like McGee, being able to retain someone like a Ray Thompson. I think that that's going to allow someone like a Mike Woodson to hit the portal and be like, hey, I got this guy to say, you should come along with us.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest name to return is Armando Baycott. And that decision along with Leaky Black and still a few pending decisions, but I'm sure that UNC is going to be hitting the portal hard, puts the Tar Heels in a really good position to compete again next year to, to make that final weekend. Again, the NIL and everything that's going on there in college basketball has helped make a lot of these decisions easier. That, coupled with everything that's going on in Europe, maybe reducing the amount of options overseas that some of these borderline talents have, it makes some of these decisions a lot easier. And I think we're going to see again, right? We have, what, two or three more years, I guess, of fifth-year eligibility remaining for some of these players. And it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward. I mean, you, you also have all the players that are just testing the nba draft process i know both murray brothers keegan and chris entered but, but i'm certain that chris is likely just going to go through the process and return guys like through timmy and i think KJ williams is also testing the draft process so you know some of these guys who, who are either in the transfer portal or weighing the option to return that are also in the draft process those decisions aren't going to come until this summer all things considered we're in for another eventful off season, similar to last year.
2: I do agree with you there. Unfortunately, for a lot of these universities, because the NBA draft isn't on such a strained schedule. Because last year the NBA draft was a little bit later because the season wound up wrapping up a little bit later. Answers will be coming a little bit earlier in the process, but certainly I do think that that is something to take a look at, and I think that that's a big reason why a lot of people are saying that the transfer portal this offseason has been a little bit weaker. I think that even with the guys they're in the NBA draft, it is a case which the portal is a little bit weaker. You do have some star power out there like Kendrick Davis. I think every single D1 team should be offering him the chance to be able to come out to their campus because he is that special of a talent, something like a Zamek. Who's been hearing from darn near everyone? No, Chad Ormier. These are really good players. I do think that it's down overall, but I do think that where the rubber is really going to be meeting the is really going to be meeting the road is with these NBA draft decisions, and I think it's going to be wise for a lot of these power conference schools to maybe keep a scholarship on reserve because when these guys wind up pulling out of the NBA draft, that's a very highly touted guy that only a couple select amount of schools are going to be going after if a school winds up running out of scholarships.
3: Oh, absolutely. And it's also important to remember that even before the transfer portal was a thing or the testing of the draft process was really the mainstream way of going about things. And even with the fifth year of eligibility for the players that played last season, it's still a case where I want to say most schools didn't fill their 13 scholarships in most years preceding this year so schools are always keeping an eye on what's happening in the transfer portal and a lot of them will carry 11 or 12 scholarships and give themselves the opportunity to hit on some of those players that are entering the portal as opposed to really strain themselves in a way that you see with Arkansas where I think they still have 14 scholarship players now committed to play next year and it makes some tough decisions because they can only carry 13. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but we are not done with players entering the transfer portal. That's for sure.
2: No question. We are not done there. And I do think that it's going to be very interesting to see what we wind up getting the next few weeks leading up to these NBA draft decisions. As we do have Connor Hope of Heat CBB joining me on the podcast and While we're not completely done with a lot of these coaching moves, we know a lot of the ones that have been made. We've seen six coaching hires out there in the SEC. We wound up seeing three out there in the Big East. If we wind up seeing too many more, I'm not necessarily sure where these are going to be coming from. But what has really surprised me this offseason is really the lack of coaching moves that we've seen out here on the West Coast. You're a gentleman that you're in the Pacific time zone, much like myself. And I thought we were going to see a couple of jobs wind up opening up in the Pac-12, because you have the chasm between the schools in Arizona, USC, UCLA, they were really that top three, and then you had everyone else. Now, no question, a school like Washington State, a school like Oregon, they're not in the market for a new coach, but... Were you, much like myself, a little bit surprised that some of these schools, like a Washington, like an Arizona State, did not wind up going out there and trying to
3: hire on someone? Not really with Arizona State. I think Arizona State is still getting the talent in to the degree that they want. And again, Arizona State, outside of, you know, pulling James Harden, they're not really a powerhouse when it comes to recruiting talent. You know, I don't think Bobby Hurley's in the top half of the Pac-12 in terms of coaching talent. But there wasn't much out there that they could reasonably go after to replace him. I was a little bit surprised about Washington. Mike Hopkins, I think, is, is slowly proving that the Jim Bayheim way of going about things where you you run that zone that's a bit old, a bit archaic now with the, in the era of really good shooting talent in college basketball and trying to take top recruits and fit them into that mold of playing what is essentially not a high-scoring, friendly-style play. They finished in the middle of the Pac-12, though. You know, while I'm surprised that it wasn't his last year there, you know, Mike Hopkins probably earned himself one more year because of that. Like I said, with Arizona State, there's not much out there for them to go after that would be a clear upgrade from Mike Hopkins. So you might as well stick with Hopkins. He's been able to pull in a, in a couple of recruits over the last few years, and, and so— you know, stick with them. I'm certain there's at least three or four head coaches in the Pac-12 that are on the hot seat. We could see some of that turnover happen over the next one to two years. But this time around, I mean, even if you look at the way the SEC replaced their head coaches, you know, it's a lot of kind of leaps of faith on successful mid-major coaches as opposed to much proven talent that's out there.
2: Yep. And with regards to the coaching moves that we wound up seeing out West, some of the moves, they involve schools like Sacramento State, and there's one in your state that I think is really intriguing, and that's the fact that Steve Lavin is going to be returning to the bench for San Diego. Now, with Steve Lavin, it's going to be interesting to see what winds up happening because he has been truly away from the game. He's been working at Fox Sports, and I've had a chance to get to know him a little bit. I'm not going to say that I'm like best friends with him or anything like that, but I've had a couple chats with him just one of the nicest guys in the world. That's someone that you could truly root for. Guy, I know he's went through a lot with regards to his personal health over the years, and you wish him absolutely nothing but the best. But with that said, you take a look at the San Diego job, and it's certainly going to be a tough one. And I just don't know if Steve Lavin is necessarily the guy that's going to be able to turn it around. You take a look at what he wound up doing while he was at St. John's last year on campus there. And the team's three-point shooting rate out of the 358 D1 schools if they were to have played this year, they would have been 357th with only New Orleans being a little bit of a lower one. So he plays a little bit of an older brand of basketball. I'm not sure how you think this is going to work out, but I don't necessarily think that's a downgrade for San Diego. But at the same time, I just can't see this really being a move that takes them over the top.
3: No, I mean, to give Steve Lavin credit, he's born in the state of California. His entire college playing career was between San Francisco State and Chapman. He coached at UCLA for 12 years. So he knows, at least on a general level, that Southern California recruiting market, he knows what the fans want. Expectations at San Diego aren't that high. And if he can land those hidden gems on the recruiting trail in Southern California, this is a team that now with BYU exiting the WCC could be competing with a Portland or a Santa Clara or a San Francisco for that third place in the conference behind Gonzaga and presumably St. Mary's. While I don't think that it's necessarily an awe-inspiring hire, it does bring eyes and money to that Toreros program just because it's Steve Lavin and everyone knows who he is. And it does give him the opportunity to maybe get a few of those, you know, low four star, maybe high three star recruits out there that don't traditionally go to those programs because they don't have a coach that's coached at the highest level.
2: Yep. And I do think that the West coast conference in general is going to be an intriguing one to look at the next few years as we do have Connor Hope joining me on the podcast because As we know, BYU, they are going to be leaving soon for the Big 12. That's something that obviously needs to be monitored with regards to this conference. And you take a look at sort of those mid-tier schools that they really stepped up during the 2021-22 season. St. Mary's formed themselves as a top 25 team. San Francisco, they make the NCAA tournament. If you don't wind up having Masliski wind up getting injured prior to that game against Murray State and in the West Coast Conference Tournament as well. Who knows what winds up happening there if they're able to win a game or two in the NCAA tournament. But with that said, San Francisco, they wind up losing Todd Golden, so you've got to figure that. They're going to be taking a little bit of a step back. Portland was one of the biggest surprises in all of college basketball, in my opinion, but Loyola Marymount, a team that we both had high expectations for coming into last season, they just wound up fizzling a little bit as well. I think that it's very interesting to take a look at the schools not named Gonzaga in this conference because I think that you can make a case that the rest of the WCC can take a big, giant step forward, and you can also make a case in which they just really aren't progressing in general as well, and I feel like it's... Really, a high ceiling, low floor situation for the school's design
3: named Gonzaga. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking at the WCC for next year, granted, with the transfer portal, things can change in the span of a week and a half. But across the board, I think the WCC this year is going to take a slight step back from the past two years. Last year, the WCC obviously had those three NCAA tournament bids, but the year before, you could argue top to bottom, the conference was better. But this year, I think BYU is very much recruiting and looking towards their joining the Big 12. St. Mary's loses a lot of their senior leadership. They're going to be a pretty young team. Um, Gonzaga, again, also is going to be a very young team, especially if Drew Timmy stays in the draft. Santa Clara is going to be one of those teams that could easily find itself in second just because they get to retain a lot of the talent that got them to that third place finish. This past year, I trust Philipson at San Francisco to just hold steady. He was an internal promote, similar to Todd Golden being an internal promote after Kyle Smith left for Washington State. But Portland is on the rise. I think San Diego certainly can get recruits to put themselves in that conversation just because I think Lavin is going to get the talent. Even Pepperdine, last year they played a ton of freshmen and sophomores. Towards the end of the season, it started to click a little bit. If Romar can continue that development, they could find themselves in the middle of the conference. It will probably won't be a conference that is discussed as, you know, similar to earlier this year as being the conference that can get you three or four bids, but it'll be a conference I think still probably right on the edge of the top 10 in the country. And we'll just have to see where where a lot of these transfers go because, you know, Gonzaga can certainly land transfers. St. Mary's can land transfers. And we'll be having a different conversation in September talking about a WCC that is just as good, if not better than last year.
2: The one thing I have to push back on, expecting good things from Lorenzo Romar is something that I have just found in the past has not necessarily worked out I just still remember his time at Washington boy oh boy that is a little bit an issue so I need to see it to believe it from them but you do take a look at the WCC and it certainly is approved and Shante Likens, the job that he did at Portland in his first year I think was really second to very few in college basketball so we do have Connor Hope joining me on the podcast and Connor just when you take a look at what we're going to be getting these next few weeks of college basketball. So this is going to be excluding the NBA draft decision, guys. But what do you think is going to be the biggest domino to fall with regards to the transfer portal? Because we've got a lot of guys that are currently out there, but I do think that it's a case of which when we do wind up seeing one or two of these big names wind up coming off the board, like Afad Zamek, I do think that a few others are going to be following because I feel like we're sort of in, that holding pattern where a lot of the guys like an Ethan Wright going to Colorado have decided to come off the board, but we really haven't had those big bombshell guys. Is there a few guys that you're looking at that they could wind up setting the trend for more of these bigger names deciding where they wind up going?
3: Yeah, I think certainly the two positions you're looking at right now are primary ball dominant guards and the big men. And for me, I think the first domino or the biggest domino that's going to fall is Janai Broome from Moorhead State. He's going to have a any you know, number of teams that he can pick, choose from to go play for. You mentioned AMAC, but also Kenneth Lofton out of Louisiana Tech. And like I said, this will probably come later, but KJ Williams is in the transfer portal as one of the I know, 10 players from Murray State that entered the transfer portal. And Buddy Bates from NC State. You know, you're going to see a lot of these bigs start to fall to those teams that are contending for a title but just need that one interior presence whether it's an offensive guy like kenneth lofton or more of like a rebound or rim protector like janai broom or amac that are going to start to fall and decide what teams they're going to and on the primary guard front you have pack from kansas state but you also have kendrick davis just announced that he was entering the transfer portal smu it's going to be really fun to see where a lot of these point guards go there are teams and we saw last year Point guards win, and even if it's just a combo guard, you need someone that can play on the ball for a majority of the game to to actually win games in March. A lot of these teams at the top are going to want to, to add that point guard. This year is not much better than last year in terms of the available number of true point guards that can lead a team to a potential Final Four national championship.
2: I am in total agreement with you there. The fall off between the guards in the transfer portal from number one to number five, it is pretty much as big as it gets. You mentioned Kendrick Davis and Nigel Pack. These two guys are absolutely tremendous. And I mean, you can make the case for a few other guys, but now Jalen Llewellyn is off the board. He decides that he's going to be going to Clemson. So if you don't wind up landing one of those big fish, boy, you're really going to be, Settling for a little bit of a guppy, but with that said, with Connor Ope, he always delivers big. Connor, I know you're doing great work over there at Heat Check CBB, and really everyone over there at Heat Check CBB does amazing work. You're a primary writer for them, and then you also do the hope and Roth podcast, which people are able to find wherever they get this podcast. So love to get people at home. Know what's all on tap for you the next few weeks. Now people are able to follow along on
3: social media and other platforms. Yeah, you can follow me at, at Condorian FM. Um, we just put out our final podcast of the season earlier this week. We're probably going to take a bit of time off. We tend to during the off season release podcasts in line with a lot of those decision dates, whether it be the deadline to enter the transfer portal or the deadline to enter the NBA draft process, as well as the deadline to take your name out of the draft, things like that. So there'll probably be five or six podcasts between now and September. And then we'll get into what is more a weekly cadence again. We're looking forward to expanding that heat check. I think we're going to add some women's basketball content. The Women's National Championship was one of the most watched college basketball games ESPN has had, and and for good reason, that sport itself as well is beginning to grow and beginning to get a lot of really good players on it. I know I got told the other day by someone who never watches women's basketball that, you know, Paige Becker is one of the most captivating basketball players they've watched, men or women. So we're going to add content there. Uh, But, you know, just looking forward to. What should be another eventful offseason?
2: I am right there with you. The women's game this year was absolutely tremendous. Unfortunately, I am a bad that I tried to look at north of 358 D1 teams all by myself, so I don't dive into it as much as I would like, but certainly credit needs to be given to how much that has expanded because before it used to be pretty much UConn just steamrolling through absolutely everyone, and now you notice a few top schools like South Carolina being able to win their second national title this year. That was absolutely tremendous. You actually saw Creighton pull a couple upsets off in the NCAA tournament as well. So I do think that that game is really growing and it is very good to see. And it's always good to see the gentlemen at CBB at work because they do absolutely tremendous work. And it was Connor Hope who wound up joining me today right here on the podcast. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on Custco Coast Superstyle, part of the Veason Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you a little bit of a roundup as to the thing that we wound up seeing in college basketball on Friday.
1: Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars. Oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
2: And we're back in lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast with myself, Greg Eusebius, and now part of the Bees and Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get Connor Hope on. He does terrific work over there at C B B and all the gentlemen over there at HXCBB. They do absolutely superb work all season long, being able to take a look at college basketball. They join me all throughout the season, and today it was Connor who stepped up, gave us some great insights, so big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of podcast that we take a look at everything that we wound up getting in college basketball over the last 24 hours. We are seeing a little bit of a reunion here. Joe Pleasant, who last season was playing at Wichita State, and, well, he was not pleasantly surprised by the amount of playing time that he wound up getting. Actually, was a starter for the team, but just did not wind up putting up numbers for them. Two and a half points, two and a half boards per contest after the previous year. And Abilene Christian, that team that wound up being of the win in NCAA tournament game, Shot 46.5% from three with 10.5 points per contest. Well... He's going back to Abilene Christian, six foot eight, two hundred twenty pound combo player, two time All Southland performer. This is best for both sides. He, like I said, was at Wichita State. He was a good defender for them, just could not wind up giving them really anything on offense whatsoever. This is going to be really best for all parties in this one, and you wish him absolutely nothing but the best. And I do think that this is going to be big for Abilene Christian School. That I do think that out there in the WAC they're going to be relatively competitive once again this season. Kellen Tynes. he has decided that he is going to be transferring away from Montana State. Seen a lot of the ancillary pieces of Montana State decide that they're going to be leaving. This last year only averaged one point per contest after two seasons ago. So more around three and a half points, shot 33% from three-point range, was never really able to... Get a whole bunch of playing time in that system, so he has decided that he is going to be going elsewhere. We've seen with South Carolina State a little bit of an exodus here because you did wind up having a coaching move, and it was a case in which you wind up having the coach's son in there as well as Mr. Tony and TJ Madlock. Both wound up jumping ship and Jamel Davis, who is a Miac all-freshman performer. He has decided that he is going to be going elsewhere. This last season, nine and a half points per contest, but a 4.8 rebound scream. For not a guy that was necessarily going to shoot it well from three-point range, but at 6 foot nine was capable of shooting threes. 1.4 blocks per contest. So that is going to be a big loss for a school that, I mean, 15 and 16 doesn't sound great, but for South Carolina State, that was actually a very good year for them. So he has decided that he is going to be transferring elsewhere interesting guy in Sean East has decided that he is going to be transferring to Missouri. This is a big giant win for Dennis Gates because Sean East was actually a very good player before he wound up going down to the 91 level. Last season he played at Johnny Logan, which is really the best community college that you're able to find in all of college basketball. During the 2020-21 season, while well, Bradley he put up 9 points, 3.5 assists per contest, shot 35% per 3. Season before in the Atlantic 10 for UMass, 9.5 points, 5 assists. Did wind up having 2.7 turnovers per game. He rectified that at Bradley with more like 1.6 per contest. A career 79.5% free throw shooter. This is a guy that is going to be able to come in. He's going to be able to make an impact right away. So very, very good on Dennis Gates being able to get this transfer done. We also did wind up seeing another one of the St. Bonaventure Bonnies decide that they are going to be entering into the NBA draft. That would be Dominic Welsh. Now he is going to be maintaining his eligibility, but that now means that three out of the uh, five main guys that you wound up having for St. Bonaventure last season. They are all in the NBA draft, and they are all pondering their decisions with Welsh. He wound up averaging 12.5 points, six boards per contest, shot 37.5% from three-point range. Other two that are currently in there testing the NBA draft waters, that'd be Oshun Oshuni, the gentleman that wound up averaging three blocks per game for them last season, and top scorer Jalen Edway who wound up having 15.5 points, six boards, shot 37.5% from three-point range. These next few weeks, going to be very impactful for the Bonnies. TJ turned it up, Heath, he has decided that he is going to be going to Western New Mexico, which is a little bit of a surprise. Gentleman that began his career at Canisius two seasons ago while he was at Alabama State did not wind up playing this last season, but two seasons ago had 9.5 points, 2.5 assists per contest at, during the 2019-20 season was a 39% three-point shooter. Not like this guy should be starting for a Big Ten school or anything like that, but Guy was relatively solid, so he has decided that he is going to be going down to the 91 level. These things are very easy for Aaron Decap. All you need to know is that, all right, Mr. DJ, he is no longer at the D1 level. Cross him off your list of players that you need to evaluate and move on. Austin Patterson, got to think that he's going to be staying at the D1 level, he has decided that he is transferring away from Wofford. Six half points, 1.2 steals per game. Someone that shot from 3 point range, 45% at six foot 3 I'm not saying that he's going to be, once again, a starter at a power school or anything like that, but certainly someone that's able to be a very good three-point shooter, someone who can make an impact, so it's going to be interesting to see where he winds up going. One of the biggest names out there on the transfer portal, line. this was to be expected. I think I talked about this a week or two ago, but it is official that Andre Cabello is going to be going to St. John's, and if there's a system that is good for Andre Corbello, I would argue that it is St. John's because with St. John's, with the duo that they wound up having last year and Pasha, Alexander, Julian, Champagny, they turned the ball over themselves quite a bit, but they generated a lot of turnovers, and Andre Corbello is a very good defender. Didn't necessarily get a lot of steals at Illinois, but I think that he's got the potential to do so. This is not a guy that you want shooting threes. I mean, this is a guy that for his career shot 70% from three-point range at Illinois. I think that he can do better. I don't think that he's ever going to become, it's just like out three-point shooter or anything like that, but being able to generate steals, being able to play fast, having a freedom to know, all right, one or two turnovers is not going to be killing this team because St. John's is a team that they play at one of the most frenetic paces in all of college basketball. I think that this could actually work. So of all the places that Andre Cabello could go, I think that this is actually one of the better ones. So I think that this is actually something that can work out and that is really a big part of it with regards to college basketball players, all about the fit. And I think that this is actually going to be a good one. So I think that this is going to work out for all parties. Kevin Elkmill, he has decided that he is going to be transferring from Tulsa. He's going to be heading to Southeast Missouri State. He can't wind up seeing necessarily a whole lot less playing time than he wound up seeing last season. Wound up playing a grand total five minutes. Just was unable to get out there on the floor in general. Wasn't necessarily a highly touted guy. He winds coming in. As a guy that was 317th in the country with regards to recruiting rankings. Number 10 in the state of Missouri, 6'3, a little bit of a combo guard. So he's going to try to help out a Southeast Missouri state team that they've got a little bit of explosives. They do need to play a whole heck of a lot more defense, so he decided that he is going to be transferring elsewhere. We also noticed that out there in the transfer portal is Elijah Taylor. He was a very highly touted guy going into Notre Dame. He was the number 223 recruit in the class of 2020 just could never really get out there for Notre Dame in general. Someone who's six foot eight has a little bit of potential to be able to shoot some threes. So it's going to be intriguing to see where he winds up going. We do know where Camden Kerfman is going to be going. And that would be to Marshall. The gentleman from the state of Maryland last season just tore it up with VMI. A three-year starter for the Key a 15.5 points per contest. Shot 80% the free fly. 39.2% from three-point range on 9.3 threes per game. So sound like this guy was very selectively taking his threes, he was really bombing it, and he was hitting all of them. So this is going to be big for a Marshall team that they were one of the worst teams at all of college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage. They actually were halfway decent down low with someone like an Obiana on Chili Killian being able to give you multiple blocks per contest. They're a team that they typically are able to generate quite a few steals, but they just did not wind up having much at all in terms of being able to shoot the three. So this is going to be able to help them out very much so mail Reynolds, he has decided that he is going to be transferring away from Central Florida during his freshman year at Central Florida. Really did a solid job for this team. Five points, three boards per contest. Didn't necessarily shoot a lot of threes, more of a traditional big man at six foot nine, but this last season saw a dip in production right around three and a half points, two rebounds per game. As Venice wound up king slides from like 13 to 9.5. So he has decided that he is going to be transferring elsewhere. we did wind up seeing a couple of big men wind up coming off the board as Kalu Azikpe. He was playing this last season at Old Dominion. He has decided that he is going to be going to Cincinnati. I think that this is going to be a good fit for the Bearcats. Last season was a starter over there at Old Dominion. Not a guy that is going to be very versatile with regards to shooting threes or anything like that, but they shoot 73.5% the free line. That's good for a big man. 11.5 points, a little bit over a block, 7 rebounds per game. Very solid defender from an Old Dominion school that they play a very slow style like you've got to expect Cincinnati is going to as well. So that is going to be a good fit for both of them. Will McNair Jr. has decided that he is going to be going from... New Mexico State, and he's going to be heading to Mississippi State. And we saw a lot with Mississippi State as they also wound up losing two guys. We'll jump into that in a second, but for McNair Jr., he's going to be following his coach over from New Mexico State as you want up seeing in the offseason. Our good friend Chris Chance decided to take that job in for McNair. More of a glue guy, a very good defender, 6.5 points, 5 boards, a little bit under a block per contest. Not a guy that's going to go scorchers from 3-point range, but six foot 10 265-pound strong, big man, and he's going to need to fill the role of two guys that want transferring out of the portal in DJ Jeffries along Derek Fountain. Derek Fountain just did not wind up seeing minutes last season. Wound up starting 10 games during that 2020-21 season. Had 5.5 points, 3 rebounds, shot 30.5% from 3. As a six foot nine combo player this last season, just didn't see the floor. 1.8 points, 1.8 rebounds for I guess Mr. James did not wind up selling him on the program, so he decided to transfer elsewhere. And a former Top 50 recruited, DJ Jeffries, Began his career at Memphis this last year while at Mississippi State. Put up some solid numbers. Nine points, four boards, two assists per contest, three-point shooting. Not what it was at Memphis. At Memphis, it was 36.5%. This year, 29.3%. But he has decided that he's transferring elsewhere as a six foot seven combo player. He's shown that he can play at the Power 5 level and be solid at the Power 5 level. So going to be intriguing to see who winds up being able to pick him up. Andre 3000 Kelly becomes one of the best big men out there on the transfer portal as well. He was very good at Cal this last season. 13.5 points, 8.5 boards per contest. I recognize that Cal, without him in the fold, actually did wind up winning a game against Oregon, but... You take a look at them before you wound up getting injured and after they wound up getting injured. And boy, oh boy, aside from that one big giant outlier of a performance, this scene was absolutely dreadful. So he is going to be making an impact somewhere. He is in the transfer portal. So I think that there's going to be a lot of schools knocking at his door, wanting his services. Robbie Armbruster, he has decided that he is going to be transferring away from Houston, and he is going to be heading over to Stone Cold Stephen F. Austin, so staying within the state. Did not mind him seeing a lot of playing time. 6'4", 220-pound guard that he wound up averaging 1.2 points per game pretty much was a garbage shine player. Houston, but a guy that I think actually has a little bit of potential. Someone who's not necessarily going to be tearing it up with regards to three-point shooting percentage, but that's not the game of Stone Cold Stephen F. Austin. They're looking to play very solid defense. He was ranked number 239th with regards to the class of 2021, so this is a little bit of a better recruit than you could typically expect to get out of Stephen F. Austin. Someone who I think is going to be a very, very good and versatile defensive player, and it's exactly what they're looking for, so I think that this is going to work out well for all parties. We did wind up seeing Sam Sessions, decide that he is going to be heading to Compensate from Penn State. We've seen a lot of guys wanting to transfer him from power schools, put up big numbers elsewhere, and then go to the MIAC, and they just can't get anything to go whatsoever. I don't think that this is going to be the case with Sessions, who last season while he was at Penn State put up 11.6 points, right around three boards, two and a half assists per contest. He was in the area anyway because Compensate is out there in the DMV sort of area. I believe that's in the state of Maryland to be exact. But someone who last season dropped 42%. From three-point range, biggest sock on the MIAC typically is that you don't necessarily have a lot of outside shooting. Now you're going to have that with this gentleman, and I think that he is going to wreak havoc on that conference. So that is very good for Juan Dixon, who we all know he was over there at Maryland a few years ago winning a national title for them. So that is a tremendous fit there. Ike Nikwe, he has decided that he is going to be staying within the area. He was playing at Columbia last season, and he is going to be going to Quinnipiac. During his last full season, the 2019-20 campaign had 9.5 points, 5.3 rebounds per contest. at this last season at Columbia after, well, the entire Ivy League did not wind up playing that 2020-2021 season. Was limited to 10 games due to injury, but 16 points, 6.3 boards wound up shooting just 25% for three and the 39% three free throw shooting that was on SA2 terrific but someone who had six foot seven is really able to be a good rim protector we don't see too many of those out there in the Miak. has a good frame he should be able to come in and he should be able to instantly give that Bobcats team a little bit of a boost so a good transfer there for them Omar Krosky he was a part of that South Carolina State team that was able to stun quite a few people this last season. He has said that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. He had a solid year this last year as a starter. 8.8 points, four boards, was able to shoot right around 32% from three. Is a six foot five, bit of a combo player. So I do think that there's going to be quite a few folks that are going to be interested in him, and he is now out there for the taking. Vladimir Manuel did not wind up playing this last season at New Mexico. Two seasons ago, he was able to be a relatively solid rim protector, a guy that is right around six foot eight, six foot nine-ish, wound up having one point four blocks per contest, and he has decided that he is gonna be heading to D2 Ketawabe. He is going to be probably one of the better players out there at the non-d1 level. Wound up also while he was at New Mexico. Being able to give the team right around 8 points, 4 rebounds per contest. Having that big of a frame should be able to dominate at a lower level. But this makes being able to evaluate New Mexico all the more easy because now you don't have to worry about that. Bryce Monroe, he has decided that he is going to be entering the transfer portal last season while he was at San Diego. Just was unable to really get online with regards to his scoring. He wound up averaging six half points per contest after out there at the Southland 2020-21 season with Sam Houston State. 10 points, 3 assists, shot 84% of the free line, 34% from 3-point range, just wound up shooting more around 35% from the floor. This last season, a guy that is able to do a solid job will be able to give you some scoring, but at five foot eleven, needs to be able to dish it out a little bit better, so he has decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal. A lot of news with Louisville as they are actually picking up Danny Manning to be able to join their coaching staff. He was the interim coach with Maryland. We all remember his work with Wake Forest a couple seasons ago, so that is going to be big for them, but they also wind of losing Noah Locke, and Locke has decided that, you know what? lock it up. He's going to be going to Providence, and the Friars, they are a school that they really did live and die a little bit by Jared Bynum's three-point shooting this last season. Now they've got another shooter to be able to help this team out. Only shot 34% from three-point range this last season, but the previous two years at Florida, wound up combining to shoot 42% from three point range on right around 5.83s per contest. While at Florida, those two seasons at Florida from the 2019-20 to the 2020-21 season averaged 10.5 points per contest. Saw a little bit of a fall off this year just because that Louisville team was such a mess that it wasn't even funny. He should be able to come in there. Should be able to be a very dynamic scorer for the team. So I think that that's going to work out. Gabe with he the last few years just did not wind up playing at Louisville whatsoever as well. He has decided that he is going to be transferring to Ohio. A former four star recruit, six foot 11, 240 pound big man who's not necessarily going to give you a lot of versatility, but is certainly going to be able to do a tremendous job down low for this Ohio bunch he is transferring in with the team losing Ben Vanderplas that is going to be absolutely massive for them they are also losing Jason Carter as well so they need to pick up someone how about a 6 foot 11 former 4 star gentleman that wanted playing at the ACC so that is a good fit for them Colum McRae has decided that he is going to be transferring to Sacramento State. A huge transfer, figuratively and literally, for Sacramento State. Sacramento State has been the armpit of the Big Sky for a very long time, and well, they're getting a three-year starter that last year at seven foot one. Had 11 points, 8 rebounds, a good passer for a big man, 2.4 assists per contest. Certainly not necessarily the world's greatest free throw shooter, but you bring in a seven foot one gentleman, Sacramento State. They're not going to be looking to necessarily push a tempo or anything like that, but they do wind up getting an absolutely tremendous talent here. So good on them. F.E. Obadigi, he has decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal while playing last season at Washington State and was expecting him to take a little bit more of a stride forward. During the 2020-21 season, 9 points, 7 rebounds, 1.3 blocks per contest, shot 27.5% from three, trying to shoot some threes this year as a ten stretch player, shot only 23% from distance, 8 points, 6 rebounds per contest, did wind up having some relatively solid performances out there in the NIT, but certainly you were hoping for a little bit more out of him. Did wind up having two plus blocks in four of the last five contests this season. So got to figure that he is going to be in high demand on the transfer portal. You got to figure that Juan Reyna is going to be able to do some solid things for Campbell as well. This last season, he was playing at Alabama State and While at Alabama State, right around 8.5 points per contest, shot 40% from three-point range. You don't see a lot of guys out there in the swag being able to do quite that, and he is going to be adding to a Campbell team that they were a little bit miss from three-point range, and you take a look at what Mr. Reyna was able to do towards the back half of the season, and he wound up having himself a very good last month or so of the season. From February 5th on, last seven games of the season, 14.7 points per contest, shot 48.5% from three on five threes per game, shot 84.5% at the free line, so if that's a sign of things to come. They've got to be very, very happy about what end up happening there and then we were talking about some guys that decided that they were going to be returning to school. Leaky Black is one of them. Really a glue guy for North Carolina, not a guy that's going to go out there and is going to be getting you just a whole bunch of buckets or anything like that. As a matter of fact, scoring has dipped in each of the last three years from, but this year while he was at North Carolina, 5 points, 4.3 rebounds, 2.7 assists per contest. A guy that the previous two seasons at North Carolina shot sub-26% from three-point range, more like 33% this year, and shot 88.5% at the free throw line. A very good role player that knows exactly what he needs to do to be able to make winning plays for the team. And he did wind up coming up very big in the NCAA tournament as well. He wound up having a bunch of games in which he was doling out right around four plus assists per game. And you take a look at it towards the back half of the season, he was one of the main facilitators for the team, averaging four assists per contest in the final 10 games of the season. Was averaging his normal 4.9 points per contest, but did a good job being able to get guys in a good position. To be able to have the ball in their hands, be able to make those shots. So, Leaky Black returning, that is absolutely huge. Jarius McGee. Returning to Liberty, that is big as well. Darius McGee, he just absolutely lit it up for the Flames this last season. 24.6 points per contest. The defense might leave a little bit of something to be desired, but shot 39% from three, 88% at the free throw line. And you just take a look at what this guy wanted up doing in the back half of the season. We're going to go from December 22nd on. So this was the... Uh, Diamond Classic out there in Hawaii, and then on from there. So final 22 games of the season. 27.1 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, shot 40% from 3, 91% at the free throw line. He wound up failing to get to 16 points in just one game. And that's what he wound up having 13 points in a game against Billerman. So... This is someone that is able to just completely and utterly light it up. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what winds up happening there. He did all this for a Liberty team that was outside the top 250 with regards to possessions per game. You also saw another guy decide to return to school, Tyler Perry. Someone who, while with North Texas last year, was really the sixth man of the team. Averaged 13.5 points per contest, shot over 40% from three-point range. Big for a North Texas team that has really found themselves as one of the top teams out there in Conference USA the last few seasons. So so that is going to be massive for them. You did wind up seeing a couple of NBA draft decisions as well. Jeremy Shane, who was playing at Baylor, he has decided that he is going to be entering into the NBA draft. Someone who I liked his overall game. I feel like if he winds up being able to return for another season, he could really be able to take off for this team as he wound up being an Big Twelve All Freshman performer, nine point two points, six half rebounds per game. Did wind up taking a couple threes. Shot more like thirty percent from three point range, fifty nine percent at the free throw line. A little bit of a liability there, but has good active hands for his size, right around one point three steals per contest. Despite the fact that he's six foot nine, and we did wind up seeing the team go through some injuries, especially with that of Jonathan Jamachachua towards the back end of the season. And He was able to perform and become a little bit more of a scorer. Final eight games, twelve and a half points per contest. Shot twenty-one and a half percent from three. So that's a big knock on him, but certainly a guy that's able to go out there. He's able to get you points. So you got to figure that there is going to be a big market for his services. And hopefully, there's a market for everything I'm doing right now here on this podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast? you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at gunit underscore d1. Keep in mind, Loader Sam, Amy does not matter. Size per usual, please send these into the timeline. And the other way is on an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Big thanks once again to our good friend Connor Oppo, V-check CBB for joining me in the last segment. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season and off season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow, and I'll be coming at you guys every single day. Thank you so much for tuning in.